Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us a reason to sing, a reason to celebrate many things, Lord. We celebrate physical life, Lord, and babies because you are the giver of life. Lord, but it's meant to point to something greater, and that is you are the giver of eternal life. And I pray that we would be reminded of that this evening. I pray that you would allow everyone in this room to go away tonight with a higher view of who you are, seeing you in a more magnificent light, because you don't change, but our views of you often change. Help us to see you more clearly. Help your glory to be more evident to us and may it transform our lives, Lord. Be with us specifically tonight as we navigate this text. Keep my lips from error, Lord, and if I were to speak error, remove it far from their ears and minds. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word tonight and that we would gain wisdom from you. Bless our time, Lord, we pray. Amen. All right, if you would, please open your Bibles to Proverbs 9. It's a little bit different than Exodus, of course. If you've been joining us on Wednesday nights, Pastor Scott's been going through Genesis and now Exodus, and we're about to get to the... um, the amazing redemption story of how God rescued the Israelites. But Pastor Scott, of course, is not here tonight, and I'm excited to share with you what Proverbs 9 has to say. It's not often you're in the Proverbs. Normally when you think of the Proverbs, you think of short little statements that are general wisdom that, you know, it's, you pick one here and there, apply it to your life. That's not the only thing that's found in Proverbs, and I want to really highlight that tonight. And Lord willing, we can see and all gain some wisdom from the Scriptures today. If you've read Proverbs before or studied the book, you will know, and perhaps you don't know, but it's really sectioned off into two distinct parts. Proverbs 1 through 9 is very specific with a goal in mind, and Proverbs 10 through 31 is also a, a different section. Not necessarily with a different aim completely, but they are different in their content. Proverbs 1 through 9, and of course we're at the back end of that in Proverbs 9. Proverbs 1 through 9 is an extended discussion and comparison of wisdom versus folly. Folly, of course, means foolishness. But it's, it's, it's a great comparison between those two concepts. What is wisdom? What is folly? Where will they lead? What are the dangers of folly? How do you avoid it? And how do you stay on the path of wisdom? It's so clearly laid out. Now, in chapter 9, as we're about to see, these two concepts are brought to life in a new way. In fact, the writer here uses personification. And if you don't know what that means, that just means making something that is inanimate or lifeless, have human characteristics. Um, An example of that would be, and for those of you who know me, I love desserts. So if a brownie is in the kitchen, I might say, the brownie is calling my name. Right? The brownie's not literally calling my name, obviously, but I'm just making a statement that I am, I want to go get the brownie. 
right? We do this all the time if, you've, if you use tools or something and you're maybe hanging a picture frame and you try to nail something into the wall and the nail gets jagged. You say, well, this nail's not cooperating with me, right? Of course, the nail is lifeless. But you're just making a statement, bringing something inanimate to life to explain, to better explain a concept. That's what we find in chapter 9 of Proverbs. Wisdom and folly are brought to life, specifically as ladies. Not just in chapter 9, though. In chapter 1, even, wisdom is personified as a woman. As a woman that is calling. And that's what we see in Proverbs 9. Throughout the whole really the whole section of 1 through 9, we see the way of folly actually personified as an adulteress. A woman who uses smooth speech, flattery, to draw in people to her house. We see this personified to help us explain something. And I think it's a good thing that a writer uses to bring a concept to life. So that's what we hope to see. And tonight you will hear the call of these two ladies. You will hear their call clearly. Two voices, two ladies, both desire you to join them. They want you to be a part of their team. And this is why I titled this sermon, if you are taking notes, Who Will You Listen To and Who Will You Serve? Now, before we go into the text, because I want to read it first, I just want to lay out a threefold goal so that you all know where I'm at in the sermon, so that you who like to keep track of time of the sermons, you know where I'm at in this threefold goal, okay? Firstly, we're going to look at some observations from this text, which is important because you have to understand the text first. Secondly, we're going to see how this text applies to or applied to its original intended audience, which would have been a Jewish Old Covenant audience, Okay? And that's important. Side note, it's important to know, as a study technique, what the Bible meant to its original audience. That's how we know we're safe in our application. Because the Bible was intended for an original audience and, of course, to a broad audience, as we are Christians. And then thirdly, after we see that and we lay the foundation for that, we want to see how it applies to us. Because we do not believe that the Bible is not applicable to us, right? We believe every part of the scriptures can be applied to us in some way. This is a life-giving book. This is not lifeless. We read this because in it are found the words of eternal life. So let's read Proverbs 9. Perhaps you've heard this before, but I pray that we can gain wisdom from it again today. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in a way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. 
Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So you see two women here, two ladies, Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, they are making a call to you. Of course, in this hypothetical scenario, they're calling people near the high places, but this is meant to be a call to you. Who will you listen to? Who will you serve? The first observation from this text, and as we go through these observations, I have three observations, and they have to do with comparing lady wisdom and lady folly. Okay, so the first one is, you could see from this text, lady wisdom cares about her guests, lady folly does not. Okay, look with me. Read again verses 1 through 3. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She's the builder of this house. She's made this for a reason. She's built the place, the gathering place. Verse 2, she has prepared her food. She has also mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She's put effort in for these guests. She's made the food. She's made the wine. She wants to treat them well. Not only that, she's sent out her maidens She's gathered her servants to tell people, come, gather at my feast. I want you to be here. I care about you. She sits at the tops of the heights of the city, it says, so that she can be seen. And she calls, saying, whoever is naive, meaning simple, potentially even foolish, lacking understanding, let him turn in here. She calls. She says, come eat of my food and the drink of the wine I have mixed. And we see that she cares for her guests because of what she says next in verse 6. Forsake your folly and live. If you were to say that to somebody, that would imply that if they continue on their current trajectory, it will not result in life. To say, forsake what you are doing and live, means what you are doing will result in death. Right? It's true. She is saying she cares enough for these people that she wants to tell them what is real, what is true. She wants them to live. We see clearly that she cares for her guests. Lady Folly, on the other hand, if you jump down to verse 13, let's take a look at her. The woman of folly is boisterous, meaning loud. She causes a great commotion. She surely wants people to look at her. She wants people to have their gaze set on her, to be distracted by her. 
She wants the attention on her. Continuing in verse 13, she is naive and knows nothing, meaning she's not equipped to give wisdom. Somebody who knows nothing is not equipped to tell you about something, right? I don't normally, you know, maybe sometimes when Grayson and I are playing, but I don't normally consult Grayson about financial decisions for my wife and I, right? Because he doesn't care, and he doesn't know what financial decisions are. We spend a lot of money on him, but he doesn't know what they are, right? I'm not going to sit there and consult with him. This is saying she's offering wisdom. The woman of folly is offering wisdom when she has none. She doesn't care about them. Continuing, she sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who are making their paths straight. Notice the contrast. Wisdom says, forsake your folly and live. And look who Lady Folly yells to. Those who are making their paths straight. Meaning, there is malicious intent. She wants to draw people off of the right path. That's what it's saying. She specifically targets and tries to pull them off, deceives them to do it. This is premeditated acts and wicked acts at that. It is not accidental. It is specific and targeted. And notice, here's the deceit. She says the same thing. Whoever is naive or foolish, who needs understanding, let him turn in here into him who lacks understanding. She says, stolen water is sweet and a bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So she lies. She didn't prepare a meal for herself. She stole it and says, it is sweet to eat this. It is sweet to engage in wickedness. And the final reason we know that Folly is not concerned with her guests is because she knows where her house leads. Verse 18, he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Lady Folly knows very well that to pull someone into her house means certain doom. She does not have her guests' best interest in mind. Wisdom does. Now, again, these are general concepts, so you might think, well, how is this going to get to application? It will. Just stick with me. We're looking at the text first, okay? First observation. Second observation, wisdom reveals hard truth while folly deceives. You see this in wisdom's call in verse 6, forsake your folly and live. How many of you enjoy when somebody tells you that you're engaging in foolishness? Not many. In fact, Often, our first reaction is to justify why what we are doing is not foolish. Right? Nobody likes to be called a fool. But wisdom says, in a loving way, you, if you continue on this path, will die. It is a hard truth. But wisdom is not concerned with what you think about her. Wisdom is concerned about your well-being. This is important. This is very important to know because she's okay with telling the hard truth. 
because she wants you to live. And folly, on the other hand, will do anything that she can to deceive. In fact, you can see her deception is clear as she offers counsel when she can give none. We've already seen that. Her message is deceitful. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You know what that has the idea of? It's not so much focusing on bread and water, but it has this idea that she celebrates wickedness. In fact, by it saying when you eat something in secret, that implies that she knows it's wrong. That's why you have to do it in secret, right? So she says it's sweet when it's eaten in secret. And there's an exhilaration to this. She finds passion and joy from getting people to sin with her. She deceives. She wants you to think that she offers wisdom and life, and yet when you enter, you will only find death. She is at her very core deceitful. She lies. Third observation. Wisdom leads to life while folly leads to death. It cannot be any more obvious from the text, but we have to point that out because it's imperative going forward. Lady Wisdom says in verse 6, forsake your folly and live. Whereas 18 tells us the dead are there. Now, life, of course, we see is not just life physically, right? Because we can see when you follow a wise path, that doesn't mean you will have a long life on this earth. But it does talk about life that is true, meaningful, and ultimately eternal. Wisdom leads to eternal life. Lady Folly, on the other hand, loves to lead people to death. Turn a page over to Proverbs 7. I want to bring this to light to see the deceitfulness of folly. Proverbs 7, verse 21 through 27. This is another example of the way of folly being personified as an adulteress. It says this, With her many persuasions she entices him. With her flattering lips she seduces him. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to a discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain, Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. There was a a man in the 30s and 40s named Marcel Pichu. Don't know if you've ever heard of this man. He was a French... A French man, he was a doctor, practicing doctor later in his life. He had served in the military and and for the French military at various points in time, but he became a doctor. He'd always kind of had some some mental issues that he was dismissed for in various other jobs, okay? He became a doctor, and it 
eventually, during World War II, okay, he became known to, as a, a very well-renowned doctor. And for all intents and purposes, on the outside, he looked like a great doctor. And it, he eventually became known for helping people, specifically the French resistance uh, group or soldiers, as well as Jewish refugees, helping them get out of German-occupied France. Or at least people thought. So people would recommend him, Jews, um, resistant, French resistance would come to him, and they would pay him a fee to get them out of there. Specifically, he was supposed to take them to Argentina. And so he would tell them, he would say, great, pay me this fee, we'll get you there, no problem. In fact, just one thing before you leave, I've got to give you a shot to handle all of the things that will come in Argentina. Not only the journey, I just want to make sure you're there safely, but also that you will handle all the diseases. It's just kind of a you know, preemptive shot. So of course, everybody says, well, great, we, we'll do anything to get out of here. What they didn't know was he injected them with cyanide. And it was his way of drawing people in to kill them. In fact, he had gone undiscovered for quite some time. He even ran away, had a new identity, things like this. He was eventually discovered, found, and he was discovered because he had 10 bodies or so buried in his basement. Anyway, in, uh, he was found guilty of over 27 murders, and the real suspected count that they couldn't prove was upwards of 60 or so deaths that this one man accounted for. And the sickening thing of it is he promised refuge, Right? He said, come to me, I will help you. And what they didn't know when they entered that house was they would never leave. The similarities here in Proverbs couldn't be more clear. Now, he was eventually found guilty and killed. But if they would have known, those people would have known his real intent, they would have never entered into that house, right? My point in saying this is, though, we think of a man like that who was guilty of 60-something, potentially 60-something murders, and you think if that person, if he was alive and he entered into this room, everybody would run because he's dangerous or would not want to be near him, right, because he's dangerous, and yet folly has claimed an infinite amount of more lives than that man. The danger of folly cannot be understated. Countless victims have followed her to their doom. She will ultimately be defeated, but for now, she wreaks havoc. So this passage warns against her. She is the most prolific killer, and yet she roams around. So now, the goal is you see some observations about these two parties, but I want to transition into the application. Specifically, and firstly, in just a few minutes of this, would be how this would be applied, how a Jew would have read this in, its, in the Old Covenant context, right? How they would have seen this, or perhaps how they would have, now, if you know Jewish history, at least from the scriptures, you know 
they wouldn't have needed Proverbs 9 to be familiar with the concept of choosing the wise way or the foolish way. If you know Israelite history specifically, God often told them, follow me and you will live and follow the other gods and you will die. This would have been no surprise to them. In fact, this had been reinforced to them over and over again. Just in case you doubt me, which I hope you don't, but if you do, Deuteronomy 30. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 30. This is in the context of the law being read to these Jews. And this is, of course, the Lord God speaking. ultimately through his law. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 through 20 says this, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. Stop there. Do you see two paths? You have life and prosperity and death and adversity. How so? In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish." You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. I think when Proverbs 9 was read or discussed, I don't think they could get that out of their head. When they think, when the Jew would have thought of the way of wisdom, or at least the way of God, they would have probably thought following Yahweh. And folly would be following other gods. I have no doubt that they would have at least seen some parallels there. In fact, you know this verse in Joshua 24, 15. I'll just read it to you for the sake of time. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There has always been a choice to serve. Who will you serve? Will you follow Yahweh in the way of wisdom, or will you follow these other gods in the way of folly? And look, and again, we laid the, ground, we laid the groundwork of the observations for this reason. Think back to our text. What did we observe? The way of wisdom and the way of God. We talked about how Lady Wisdom cares. Think about how Israel was cared for by God. How many times did he preserve them over and over and over and over again? Clearly, he loved them. He built a land for them, a promised land, right? 
very similar to kind of the preparations of Lady Wisdom. He never lied to them. He preserved them. And the only thing the false gods ever did to Israel was lead them to destruction. Over and over again, the way of folly leads to death. This text surely would have served as a great reminder to the Jew to follow Yahweh God. And don't follow those idols who are dead. They are lifeless. They will lead you to destruction. But naturally the question is, how do we read it, right? How should we read this? How does this text apply to us today? And considering those two foundations that we've laid, I hope that we can see the way of wisdom is none other than following the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way of folly is looking to anything else other than Jesus for true lasting meaning, hope, happiness, pleasure, or fulfillment. The way of wisdom mentioned here for us is following the Lord Jesus Christ as mentioned in the scriptures. The way of folly is following anything else. Now, we might not be tempted to bow the knee to Baal or Asherah like Israel was, but we often bow the knee to our own idols, don't we? You might say, well, what do you mean, Josh? We don't have a stone statue that we are tempted to go bow before. Maybe true, but I want to read you something. It's a quote from Tim Keller. He says this, what is an idol? What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. When you look to something other than God for lasting pleasure, satisfaction, hope, meaning, value, you are worshiping something other than God. And the end of that will be destruction. That is certain. This proverb in Proverbs 9 makes abundantly clear that any path aside from the way of wisdom which is Christ. Christ, of course, we know John 1 says he is the word, the wisdom, the revelation from God. If we follow anything other than Christ, then we will end in death. If you chase money and believe wealth will fulfill you because of what the world says, you believe folly. If you chase your fleshly desires leading you to sensuality and immorality and believe you will find pleasure and satisfaction, you are hearing and listening to the call of folly. If you seek and strive for power and authority and influence and believe that will give you meaning, you are on the way to folly's house. If you simply want a life of ease and comfort, 
Who doesn't want that? But if you simply want that and you believe that will make you happy, you are listening to folly. If you think that God is simply a nice addition to your life, he's worth having around, he's worth associating with, but he's not worth bowing the knee to in every aspect of my life, you are listening to folly. Finally, if you strive to be a good person, if you strive to please God with your own merit, do better, try harder, please God, you are also listening to folly. Folly takes many forms, all of which lead to something other than Christ. The essence of folly is deceit and lies. You see, there's a twofold strategy to, fo- to folly. We don't audibly hear a lady over here yelling for us to enter into our house, into her house. But what we do hear is this. Folly often is temptation promising you something that you won't receive. Promising you satisfaction. Just come, have a taste. Stolen water is nice. You didn't have to earn it. And guess what? It's in secret, so nobody will see us. Promises, satisfaction, and yet it will kill you. And it doesn't end there. In fact, if folly won't bring you in by immorality or gross immorality in any kind, folly also takes another form and says, you're right, you are a good person. You are not a murderer. You never cheated on your spouse. You raised your kids well. You know what? You are a good person. I think God will, I think God will let you in. And folly will lie to you and say that you are good enough to stand before God in your own righteousness and on judgment day, you will hear, depart from me. Because you stood in your own righteousness before God. You see, folly will take whatever avenue she wants to draw you down to the pit of hell. Perhaps you've seen this in your own life when you are tempted to sin, and perhaps you sin often, interestingly enough, Satan and his minions, when they tempt you to sin, and they say, here, come just have a taste. It will feel good in the moment. Often the first one to accuse you of your wickedness is them. They will draw you in, And as soon as you engage in it, they will point out how wicked you are. You can't be saved. Look at what you're doing. That is the essence of a bad friend, right? It is a fake friend. It is a fraud. This passage of Scripture, Proverbs 9, is written to expose the fraud that is sin and the lies of Satan. This is the call of folly. We must prepare. But, oh, believer, you must hear the call of wisdom. You must hear who God is. 
you must know him. You must know that whatever preconceived notions you have about God, we know who God is from his scripture, that he is gracious and merciful and kind and quick to forgive and quick to show compassion and quick to send your sins as far as the east is from the west. If you know God, you know he wants you to join him. He calls at the tops of the streets. He sends his workers out to call you in. He has prepared a place for his believers. Proverbs 9, wisdom personified. This is the path of wisdom, the gospel. You want to know true wisdom? Believe in Jesus Christ. Paul says, of course, in 1 Corinthians we know the wisdom of God is not the wisdom of the world. If you want to know true wisdom, know Jesus. And here's the cool thing. I love this parallel in this proverb. I love in verse 6, if you're still in Proverbs, and if you're not there, turn back there. Proverbs 9, verse 6, it says, Forsake your folly and live. Isn't that the message of the gospel? Forsake your sin. Forsake your strivings. Forsake your efforts. Forsake your whatever family background you have that you think will get you closer to God. Forsake it all and live in Jesus Christ. That is the essence of the gospel. This is the call of wisdom today to you. Believe the gospel, for in it is life. Ezekiel 33, of course, says, why would you die? You know the way of life. Turn and live. It is important, as we wrap up in these last few moments, it is important to be reminded of the dangers and the wiles of folly, and specifically the ones who are working to spread folly, Satan and his minions, who appeal to our sinful flesh. We have a threefold enemy. It is important to know the dangers because even as a Christian, you are not exempt from the call of folly. In fact, do you not remember what folly, where folly sits? Folly sits towards those who are making their paths straight and wants you to derail wants you to deny God, wants to render you ineffective, you must know your enemy so that you know how to combat it. And that is by loving wisdom. In other words, loving Christ. The more you love Christ, oh, you see right through the lies of folly. Because you can say, I've been there, I've followed that, I've seen that the pleasures are fleeting. But with Christ, there is no end. In fact, for all eternity, you will enjoy Christ more and more and more and more. It will be lasting. It will be good. It will be right. Now, perhaps some of you are thinking internally, what if I am on the way of, if I am listening to folly now, if I am in unrepentant sin or considering sin? Perhaps you've... Your heart has been exposed by this proverb. 
it is not too late. You are among the land of the living still. There's nothing else better to say than what wisdom says. Forsake your folly and live. Forsake it. Some people think that Christianity... Some people think that, you know, it's not really... It's, it's kind of a poor trade-off. You really are miserable in this life, but you get a good next life. If you know, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know there is true joy in following Christ, not sin. In fact, nobody should pity the Christian because they have true joy in Christ. And so, so wisdom calls, forsake your folly. If you are convicted of your sin, forsake it and live and turn to Christ, who is quick to forgive because he loves you. Folly doesn't love you. Sin doesn't love you. They want to drag you down with them. My closing statement will be this. This text should serve as a gracious warning for some in this room. It's a gracious warning from God to write this. Because there are some who may be on this path. And it is gracious of God to show you, if you continue, you have been warned This is the end. You should know where your foolishness, sin, will take you. But for the Christian, it should be a wonderful reassurance that we have life. Right? If you are on the path of wisdom, it's because Jesus has saved you. And you are on the path to life, and you will have joy. And that gives us hope on this earth, right? Because we don't always have perfect bliss on this earth. But we can look forward to a day because of Jesus Christ where the way of wisdom will lead to eternal life in heaven. That is wonderful. So, I will ask you again, who will you listen to? Who will you serve? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this text. Thank you so much that you are kind. Thank you so much for your patience. Help us, Lord, to see that you are loving, that you have your arms wide open to all who would hear the call of wisdom and turn from their folly and live. There is only one path that leads to life, and it is through you. I pray that you would help us to be more and more in love with you so that we might see through the foolishness of sin that we might see the dangers of sin. I pray that you would help us to teach our children these things. Help us to tell others about this. Help us to realize that hard truth is worth saying because it leads to life. Help us, Lord, in this. Help us to stay on the path of life. And we know it is only through your power, as we've sung tonight, that we will not wander. 
But I am thankful that we have a power far greater than our flesh, far greater than Satan, far greater than any of his minions, and that is the Holy Spirit. Thank you for equipping us for this work. Help us to serve you well, Lord, in our time. It's in your name we pray. Amen.